This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. So we're carrying on from yesterday's episode with Beth Verofska. He's the Pilates instructor. So stay tuned, get ready. There's a little bit of a Pilates movement exercise in this one. And we've got that body awareness at the heart of it. The fact that we're actually noticing our body as it does it and not blocking that body out because ultimately Mm. we've got to live in that body let's try and make it as nice as possible nice as possible a place to live (laughs) (laughs) definitely you know and it's said that it's a a progressive condition everybody with ms has that feeling that it's going to progress and that we want to just stop it getting any worse and a big part of that i think is by doing what you're talking about it's by building that body awareness and focusing in on the different parts that are really important and all those things that you were tracking um you know and and so that is such a wonderful outcome of those 10 10 weeks to be able to say that these people felt that they could do all the day-to-day life things and they could do them more easily and that they could walk further or they could walk in less discomfort whatever it might have been I just think that is a great example of the benefits that we can get and hopefully then maintain Mm. and I think collecting data is really useful on an individual level as well Mm. Um, so it puts me in mind of a client who um, who doesn't actually come to the group MS Society classes because in normal circumstances she um, she's at work on that day. Um, but we see each other individually um, and normally we'd meet in my studio at home. Um, and, and she is kind of like a huge database of information about her condition. And so, for example, she's been tracking the number of steps she takes every day over the course of quite a few years Mm. um she measures uh other things like um have you ever come across the nine hole peg test Brian? yes yeah so so she uh she does that nine hole peg test regularly and so i'm just wondering if it's it's probably worth just spending just a couple of minutes explaining the nine hole peg test in case people haven't come across it yeah we'll do um so it's a it's a very simple little um little device which i think it originated in the medical community as a standard way of measuring a patient's manual dexterity and it involves moving nine small pegs from nine holes on one side of this little board with one hand over two nine holes on the other side of the board. And the the challenge is to see how many can you move, how quickly can you complete Mm -hmm. the challenge, 
and then just measuring that. And then you do it with your other hand to go across the other way and time that. And so then between the MS nurses and the MS specialists, they've got a, a baseline measure of how someone is and then how an intervention might affect their manual dexterity. And that's it's come out more more widely into the uh, into the MS community, maybe maybe into other communities as well, because a cardboard version was made, which is possible to buy for not very much money now. So you could just look up sort of nine hole peg test if you're interested. But I think the the value of the value of that very standard measure is that it's a currency, if you like, that makes sense to medical professionals and to the patient themselves. So a person with MS who can go in and say, look, you gave me this drug and I think it's flipping amazing for me because look what's happened to my nine-hole peg test scores. Mm. Six months ago, I wasn't able to complete the board on my left hand and it was taking me five minutes on my right hand, let's say. That's probably a bit long. But now, look, you know, I've been on this drug trial and look, I can actually complete the board with both hands and and I've improved the speed on my right hand. And I'm doing that consistently. Look, these are my weekly scores over the past X number of weeks. And and the, the client I've got in mind here who does that um, has, I think, been able to be a great advocate for herself. You know, it's all about taking control and working out what is the best thing for you and for your your different symptoms because it is so such a unique condition um absolutely have, have you sort of over the years that you've been working with people who have ms has there been anybody that you've not been able to help there's always a sense that some clients um, some clients go, a lot of clients stay. Um, often it's the practicalities of getting to a session that caused people problems, which is where the remote classes and, and workshops online have been really helpful. Mm. So as we touched on before, it's time efficient and it's energy efficient just to go straight into a session. Yeah, I think that there's a challenge in groups when you've got people with very different needs, then it's it is harder to meet the needs of the people at the end of those spectrums. So whilst we whilst we manage, I think if someone was very athletic, then they probably with MS they probably mm. wouldn't find my MS-specific classes are going to be of long-term help to them. It would probably be worth them doing half a term or a term in order mm. to get some of the principles of alignment and efficient movement and imagery of movement that they can take into their marathon or, you know, their um, their elite horse riding you know there's someone in mm -hmm. uh, the local ms society group she's um an elite horse rider and so she is in a very difficult different physical situation to those clients who are permanently in chairs mm. so 
whilst I could help each one of those individually in a group, it's not necessarily going to meet the edge cases needs quite as well. Yeah. Um, I think there's also an attitude perspective as well. So if someone actually is not ready to slow down and to really feel their body and they're in the mode of, right, let's punish it, Mm. that's fine, but it's not going to happen in my class. Mm. They Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, there's – there's the approach with me that we listen to our bodies and sometimes that's a really frightening prospect but just gently together and with support we'll we'll listen and we'll look at the body and we'll see what it can do and repeat movements repeat them and help them through that repetition improve particularly with neurological conditions the the nervous system is primed and ready to find new ways of doing a movement that it might have lost. Mm. But that can be extraordinarily frustrating (laughs) to keep persevering to lift that foot or whatever. And so if perhaps someone would rather go, well, actually, I'm going to not really try and address that movement. I've got other strategies, like I'm just going to use my chair more often because I need to get somewhere quicker. That's fine. That's fine. Mm. But we but we do really try and face some of those difficult difficult things in the class in a way that's supportive. Yeah. And so does with Pilates, is there an element of um I don't know what's is it neural reprogramming? Does does any of that take place? Yeah, that's very much what I'm aiming to do through the touch the use of visual imagery, uh, the use of, rather than doing too much by way of highly complex or choreographed movements, looking at some of the really fundamental functional movements that we need day to day for the likes of walking, getting up and Mm. down. Um, And then we can we can apply those in different situations. So if someone is permanently seated, we can still use the same principles of movement as someone next to them who is walking maybe with a stick Mm -hmm. Um, and so there is that definite element of aiming to re reprogram repattern re-educate movement as far as that's possible Mm. and going round, you know going around that obstacle that's been put in the way Um, yeah to make something possible that's been taken away from us and yeah it's, puts it's me in mind of a of a client who who at the moment isn't able to lift her toes completely unaided but if she touches her, her toes or if I touch them at the top and then she asks for that lift of the toes then it will come so it's the combination of the touch and her own instruction that's doing it and uh, it's been really fascinating over the months if she's listening she'll know who she'll know who she is really fascinating over over the months seeing that movement improving with less and less touch needed that's phenomenal isn't it that's yeah just the whole way that the whole brain works I know I went to see a physio who introduced putting a mirror 
in between my legs and watching my right foot in the mirror. And my brain then saw the reflection as being my left foot, which is, um, which is my foot that possibly like your client, it's foot drop. And I think it gets scored one out of five when I go to see the neurologist. It's ridiculously unresponsive. And how by using the mirror and fooling the brain to think by moving the, work, the foot that did work, then I was able to, behind the scenes, without me looking at what my real left foot was doing, I was able to lift it higher. And I just found that the most bizarre experience. Well done for doing that. The, the mirror box therapy is, is a really interesting approach. It's also um, good for hands. I don't know if you've tried it or anyone listening has tried it for their hands. But one of the, um, one of the things that I think is, re- is really sweet in it is that you're, you're asked if you're wearing any rings to take the rings off so that your brain has got more chance of believing that your right hand and your left hand or you're, you're genuinely looking at those hands. That in the hand, mirror. yeah, yeah. Um, and and so that's interesting. I've done that work with an MS um, MS client and mm-hmm. uh, with a stroke with a stroke client. Um, the these things they really take perseverance, though, don't they? It's mm. it's about a month of repatterning, really dedicated. And what about you know pelvic floor exercises? Two to I've three kind months. Of given up, I've kind of given up on those, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> worth persevering with even even for someone completely able-bodied two to three months of daily pelvic floor exercises how long it's going to take to see an improvement Mm. so you know stuff doesn't necessarily happen overnight does it and all physios and personal trainers and yoga and pilates people I'm sure will will back me up on that do you need to put I think you know the commitment in but the evidence is there that that movement can make a huge difference to quality mm. of life in any how do you, condition. How do you um, motivate or get people to act um, and commit? I think that have you got any sort of tips for motivating people to do it that you've found work? Not with everybody, obviously. I think during the sessions, there is a sense of a progression and an energy and a mutual support for doing it. So within the, within the sort of recommendation of listen to your body, rest when you need to, quality is better than quantity. Generally in the, in the classes, I think everyone is, is gently motivated. And when, when people are outside, the groups that is harder some teachers give homework and I think that's a good strategy and I'll quite often recommend that people will try this new exercise this week and see how they get on Mm. I think the visual imagery is really powerful so if I could perhaps give you another one um lifting an arm so Mm -hmm. let's say someone's lifting an arm up to the cupboard where they uh, keep their teacups Okay, I'm going to do this kind of seated down while I'm okay. talking to you now. Yeah. Okay. So just picture your shoulder blade at the back of your body there. And as you lift the arm up, 
Notice how the shoulder blade is sliding down at the back, almost as if that shoulder blade is sliding down to the back pocket of your jeans. Am I doing this with my good arm? Yeah, can do. <laughs> yeah. So as you've lifted your arm up there, notice how almost in a pendulum-like way the shoulder blade has sunk down at the back. And then just bring your arm back down. Feel the shoulder blade slide a little bit back up again. Mm -hmm. Let's try that again. Maybe so take a little breath in. And then as you exhale, raise the arm, slide the shoulder blade down. Feel it as if going down the back of your body. Maybe even a sense that it kind of goes underneath the armpit as the arm lifts. And notice the space between your ears and your shoulders as you do that. And that way of lifting the arm with the shoulder blade going down in a kind of equal and opposite movement to where the hand is going. It's a very efficient way to do it. It avoids the shoulders shrugging. That's what I neck. was going to say. Yeah. Because I did that with you and I did it with my side that was my, well, it's not perfect, but my better side. And then I did it with the side that is really quite rubbish, which I would normally hoik the whole shoulder up and use my um is it your tra trapezius muscles mm. at the top um whereas when I was thinking about moving my shoulder blade down then none of that happened and oh, I was engaging good. or trying to engage the right muscle which yeah. doesn't really which doesn't really work which is why I've done the work around which is sort of using the wrong muscle but yeah. that yeah absolutely that was a great demonstration so when you can sort of implant an image like that in someone's mind then everyday tasks can become their practice it can become their pilates in daily life or it be can become that continual repatterning mm. that's so important I was going to say, you know, people enjoy all different forms of exercise. And I think Pilates can give a bit more body confidence mm. and a little bit more sort of structural integrity that might then give people the courage to try some swimming or try Tai Chi or something that they fancy as well. Mm. A bit like losing weight as well, I think. You know, if, if someone loses a bit of weight, it's a bit more comfortable and easy to exercise. So then they might actually, you know, embark on doing a bit more movement and it can become a virtuous circle. Mm. So, Beth, as we come to the, towards the end, um, where can people find you if they want to find out more about your Pilates work? I'd love to hear from anyone and um, help anyone who feels as if they um, they might benefit from what I can offer. Uh, my website is bethpilates.com. And at the moment, it's all on Zoom. Uh, I live in Petersfield, which is in East Hampshire. And during this time, people have been accessing my classes from North Yorkshire, Oxfordshire, Herefordshire, <laughs> all over the place. So there's a real opportunity now. And um, I'm doing a series of specialist workshops. I've done one on hands and wrists. If there's enough demand, I'd be very happy to run that again. <clears throat> I'm planning feet and lower legs and um, pelvic floor and the core as specific topics. So if someone wanted just to sort of dip in and uh, try one of those, that would be a quite nice, easy um, one 
Zoom experience for us to sort of say hello and for them to experience some more of the sorts of things we've talked about, Brian. Fabulous. So just by looking at your website, there's a contact on there, is there? Yeah, beth at bethpilates.com. Okay, brilliant. Now, you mentioned about the fact that in these strange times, you're doing everything on Zoom. Let's imagine that we're no longer living in the strange times that we are in. Um, I want to ask you two questions that I always ask people. Beth, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you choose to be? I'd be sat in my parents' front room and they live in a little market town called Ledbury and I'd be having a pot of green tea. My dad would be reading the newspaper with his feet put off, put up. <laughs> my daughter <laughs> would be reading or doing something nearby. My mum would be maybe just sort of pottering around a little bit. She's very active. She'd be doing something. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we would that's where we would be right now. It's been too long. It was Christmas since we last <laughs> saw each other. I know, I know. Oh, that's lovely. That's where you'd want to be. Yeah. It's about relationships with you, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Thank you ever so much for joining me, Beth, today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. There's a five-day challenge. This five-day challenge is exactly what you'll need if you've recently been diagnosed with MS and you want to regain an element of control in your life. Details of how to find the group are on the Multiple Success Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you'd like to get more involved with the MS Show, why not join our Facebook community? Just search Facebook for The MS Show. Come back soon for another dose of MS information and inspiration. You've been listening to The MS Show podcast.